Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. I am Aaron. And today we're here to talk about Season 3, Episode 3, titled Walk of Punishment. I think we all know what that reference is. Walk of Punishment? No. That's what this episode was. <laughs> Not for those slaves. No, God no. Again, very grim dark. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, grisly stuff. What do you think of this episode overall? Grizzly is that a crack on the bear in the Maiden Fair? A little hairier. That guy was pretty hairy. <laughs> uh, I yeah. I this I man. I forgot how much shit happens this this season. Like that's the thing about this this show that like hooks people is that that like Jamie getting his sword arm whopped off came out of nowhere. Yeah. Just as they got just as they get you kind of excited for like maybe the return of Jamie Lannister, badass warrior. Uh-huh. Like like oh okay he got he got beat by Brienne but you know he's been in the mud and chained and is weak and famished and blah blah blah. Nope, done. Sword arm, gone. Yeah, and this is, you know, why last episode I was lamenting, oh, man, I really want to see the the Jamie we, we've heard about, you know, the, the excellent sword fighter with finesse and grace, and we're just, I guess we're not going to get that without a sword hand. No, no, I mean, you know, we'll we'll have to see how that, uh, but that's that's a huge transformation that came out of nowhere yeah. of the character, for the character, and... I got, I'm trying to. So, do you remember the first time you saw this episode? Like, did you see the danger that Jamie was stepping into, or did you buy? Uh, I, f- I forget what this guy's name is, uh, Roose Bolton's hunter, did, or did you buy the um, the fact that he was just like being persuaded to be nice to Jamie because of the rewards and riches? I think I bought it. Yeah, I think I bought it. Um, the guy plays it like he's buying into it mostly, right. and then when he puts him in his place, I'm like, okay. But then, like, just the sudden savagery of the, the, the arm chop is like, wow. Yeah. Wow. And then it goes, then, if you weren't off-balanced enough, it smash cuts right into this metal version of the Bear and the Maiden Fair. I remember actually hating that. Did you? Yeah. I hated this song in that moment. What did you think uh, on... So did, I, 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 I don't know. I, I find it grimly funny. To... It is. I don't know that I wanted funny in that moment, though. Like, this is the biggest development in Jamie's life heretofore, and I I don't, I don't just, I just don't think it worked. Have you, have you seen for me. the meme of, like, where they play a broken recorder version of My Heart Will Go On during, like, uh, the opposite Jesus. of an epic moment in, like, a video game or something? Like, no, but I can imagine that really ruins or it. Or they'll do the broken recorder version of the Jurassic Park theme on something that's majestic, but it's not. It should be majestic, but it's shitty. Yeah. Like, I feel like we needed a smash cut the broken recorder version of the Reigns of Castamere. <laughs> just, like, off-key and, uh, and hesitant, and because that's how it felt like you know uh you thought jamie was going to get back you know everything's going to turn him back up jamie lannister and then slip slop chop he's he's done yeah uh okay uh did you give your opinion on the episode no i i really enjoyed it i mean there there is just so much good stuff in here from uh the small council meeting to podrick and his yeah his uh abilities let's call them I mean, a, all of it is so good. This, and the Edmure stuff, like... I was going to say, this is a very... I, it's uncommon, enjoyable. An uncommonly funny episode, too. It is, yeah. Um, and, yeah, and they do such a great job of establishing, like, the Blackfish. Yeah. Um, and, in contrast, Edmure. A lot of that, like, I think they've really amped up the contrast of those characters from the books. Mm-hmm. Um, but it works. And, like, in, you got to go shorthand, and you got to kind of turn the characters into more archetypes, and... Mm-hmm. 
that Viking funeral scene that almost wasn't <laughs> is a great way to do it. And I think, you know, having that right on or having the Rob scene where he chastises Edmure. Right. Uh, for his impatience, essentially, uh, and for mucking up his entire strategy, does a lot of good for Rob's character and and further humiliates Edmure, which I found enjoyable. But Rob, <laughs> you know, he's he's had moments of, of strategic thinking, but they've never really explained, I guess, so much what's going on in his head. But here they really get inside of it, and we understand his strategy uh, a little more intimately. And I think that's important for that character because... I, Rob needs to. I need to look at Rob and say he is the strategic equal of Tywin. Right. And this this scene especially helped me really believe that. Yeah. Or that he's in. He's and he's close enough that maybe passion and mm-hmm. ferocity could overcome. Because I don't think he can outfight. I don't think he can outthink or outfight Tywin. But I do think his men are more motivated. Well, the stuff that Barristan talks about later in the yeah, episode, right? Right, How right, right. The the men he the loves and fought the for love respect, and respect. And whereas Tywin's guys are honor. probably fighting for gold. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know. Th- those scenes are really good, and, and there's just so much else that's awesome. And then the ending, of course, is shocking in a really good way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I loved it. Uh, well, we should get into it then. Okay, let's do it. A little bit of housekeeping uh, before we get going uh, into the episode. We just want to remind everybody we're also watching the miniseries Sharp Objects on HBO. We are releasing those on Tuesday afternoon in the Bald Move TV feed. We're also doing some like uh, general TV discussion. Uh, we went through the Emmy nominations for 2018. Uh, what else? We, we, we did talk about Stranger Things. Yeah. New Ta- trailer. Talked about the new season teaser. three teaser, yeah. teaser trailer, which is pretty good. Uh, check that out in the Bald Move TV feed because that'll be going on for another six weeks. Uh, also, Better Call Saul Season 4 is starting uh, early in August. We're going to have our preview uh, out next, not next Wednesday, Wednesday, uh, August the 1st, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you'd like to send feedback to that, uh, talk about your hopes and fears and whatever for Season 4, you can do that at better cal, bettercastsaul at baldmove.com. Uh, first run bald movies are still going strong. Uh, we did Skyscraper last week. This week I uh, saw Mamma Mia 2. Uh, with Cecily, and we're also going to be doing um, Mission Impossible 2 this Friday. We usually see it on Thursday night, but because we're traveling, we're going to be a day late. We're going to get that out um, hopefully late Friday afternoon. So we're going to be seeing... What did I say Mission Impossible 2? You did. I don't know what's it's Mission called. Impossible 10, maybe 11, Fallout. That's the one we're seeing. Okay. Uh, also, another programming note, we moved our TV, our Twitch.tv streams from Monday and Wednesday to Tuesday and Thursday at 4 p.m. Uh, just for the summer, uh, the, the better suit our schedule. Uh, finally, a couple weeks left in the book.baldmove.com campaign, the religious book that I'm writing uh, with Anthony LaDonna, a religious scholar about the religions of Westeros and Essos. Uh, still some time to get some really cool rewards and merch and help us make the book as big and awesome as we can. Uh, check out that Kickstarter at book.baldmove.com. That will be out in November in time for Christmas. Uh, so if you want a hard, uh, if you want a hard copy of the book, uh, your only sure way to get it is on the Kickstarter, book.baldmove.com. Thanks in advance for your support. All right, we start off with Catelyn's father giving a northern or Viking funeral. I can't tell if this is... Is this just a Tully thing, or is this a northern kind of thing? No, it's a Tully thing. Okay. Kind of like the, the river... Like like this, um, the Trident um, runs 
right through the castle and it becomes like a primary you know one of its primary strengths the fact that it's got mm-hmm. a ready source of fresh water and food in the forms of fish and you know they can drop these portcullises down so no one can get inside but they still can enjoy that and what are you going to do poison the whole river right maybe we'll see D- divert the whole river yeah, maybe divert the whole like do yeah do a nebuchadnezzar or uh, uh-huh. well no it was a cyrus the great uh on nebuchadnezzar um but it's yeah like the river is a big thing for them uh so this is kind of a way to like return things and but i always wondered like is there like anytime you hear like a great lord dying in river run uh are there like peasants that like just around the river bend ready to like (laughs) douse the flames and pillage the corpse like hey he's got a gold ring on and that swords castle ford steel and whatnot a lot a lot of fishermen out that day (laughs) on their boats right yeah 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 trying to catch a trying to catch a tully fish Uh uh-huh um but i so yeah he's given a, a a funeral here. Edmure attempts three times to shoot the boat with the arrow and fails. Uh, so his uncle steps in and does a job for him. Boat almost got out of range. Even of the blackfish, yeah. Yeah. I, I did like how um, they really had him pull deep and aim high and like account for the wind. But then once he did, he just didn't, he, yeah, he didn't saw have it. to look. Here's your bow, kid. <laughs> he knew. And uh, the, just the looks that, that happened between Edmure and Catelyn and Rob is right. back there trying not to laugh right. at how ridiculous all of this is. I, right. I really love that scene. But they, it shows a contrast. You don't even know. Like, the backstory to Blackfish is that he is, like, one of the most accomplished warriors in the Seventh Kingdom. Like, he's been in, they, they describe half a hundred battles, mm-hmm. which is, like, fucking George Martin's favorite way to say a, a buttload. Uh-huh. And, you know, he's, like, just, like, distinguished and renowned warrior. And, like, the fact that Edmure is probably you know he's a he was raised in the 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 summer and he was probably too young to really fight in rebellion and largely untested and this kind of like i couldn't you know like someone asked me to shoot my dad's funeral boat and i get three like i get in and it's going down river and getting further away all the time i'd i'd choke there's so much pressure yeah i mean how much do you you practice that whereas the blackfish is just like you know i've 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 killed men like this they're trying to kill me back (laughs) right with arrows like no big no big deal Mm -hmm. um but it's a great way to show all the tension here so that the next the next scene doesn't come out of nowhere. Right. Uh, uh, the the utterly withering attack on Edmure continues uh, in this next scene where Rob chastises him for driving the mountain out of the territory in the opposite direction of where Rob wanted him to go. Uh, and he knows that uh, being impatient is not a trait that, that Tywin shares. Right. And that that's a very dangerous thing. Uh, I, I Man, I just... I really feel like Rob is a a king here, you know? Um, he, <laughs> I mean, I don't know what it is about Edmure's face, but I want to see him humiliated. Right. I mean, he does. He looks like a dandy. He, yeah, it's unfortunate. He looks, like, I, he looks like a guy who hasn't paid the iron price for shit. And in this sure. world, you kind of need to pay the iron price for a little. I mean, you don't have to be full Iron Iron Islanders about it, but. I did think maybe Blackfish got a little too much pleasure from the dressing down of Edmure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, especially when Rob's like, oh, we captured two 14-year-old boys, and he's actually like, oh, I think Martin is 15. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it's it, it just shows the... But on the other hand, maybe Rob could have sent this guy Raven and said, hey, here's the here's the plan. 
uh, because his plan was to get the mountain's blood up and have him mm-hmm. follow, you know, over pursue and get enmeshed, and then they would, you know, uh, envelop him, and that would be all over. But Edmure. You know, as a guy who's been largely untested and a bit of a dandy, he was really eager to distinguish himself by taking this mill. And, mm-hmm. you know, but he just, well, he, he's just not thinking. He's just not yeah. thinking. And Rob just, and also the fact that they lost 208 men, they, and, and him saying, we need our men more than Tywin does. Because now Tywin's mm-hmm. got this fresh inf- infusion from Highgarden, and, uh, uh, and, and now Rob doesn't have the advantage in men or gold. Um, it's, it's pretty great. Uh, and and it, you're right. It made it made Rob look kingly. Uh, also, the fact that Blackfish, as established in the beginning, is such a badass. And again, you don't know his full backstory, but you just get what a serious fellow this is and how sure. competent he is. And he's calling this guy his king, and uh, he's way ahead of his ne- his, his uh, nephews in terms of realizing the the depths of the tactical blunder that he made. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I totally agree. It made it made Rob look regal and serious which he kind of needed because the story for several episodes has been him letting his dick lead him around and yeah. get him in trouble. Yeah. Good to see that there's more to him than that. Yeah. Uh, then we go over to Tywin's. Uh, it, by the way, yeah. the smash cut to this scene from the last of Tywin, <laughs> Tywin, wherever he, Tywin's not losing his patience. And no. we see this farce yeah. of a small council meeting and Tywin very much keeping his patience about him. <laughs> but, but it's, it's, it's a trial. He, he's got his share of clowns too. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so Tywin's council shows up for the, the meeting they're having and his council is made up of Varys, Littlefinger, Pycelle, Tyrion, and Cersei. Uh, Tywin wants to know why they haven't found Jamie yet, even with all of their, you know, uh, much storied spy networks. Uh, he decides that Littlefinger will marry Lady Arryn, becoming Lord of the Vale as well as Lord of Harrenhal. And Littlefinger objects that, or sorry, Littlefinger doesn't object. Uh, Tyrion objects that they will be without a Master of Coin, so Tywin gives Tyrion the title. Um, which is a is. <laughs> Tyrion sees the danger here because uh, mm-hmm. I don't think Tyrion would balk at becoming the master of coin in any other circumstance. But he he suspects that Littlefinger has been cooking the books and doing a whole bunch of over like way over leveraging the kingdom. And we know that's exactly what he's been doing. It's it's yeah. he hasn't been magically making money. He's been borrowing heavily to feed um, you know King Robert's appetites. And now it seems like King Joffrey's even got a bigger appetite because they're talking about the wedding being the most expensive event in human history. And the summer's ending and there's hard days ahead and the crown's broke. Yeah. Not, not great. But meanwhile, Littlefinger, fucking Littlefinger, like, like Tyrion bled for this, this kingdom, mm-hmm. almost died. Littlefinger gets Harrenhal and if he wins the hand of Liza Aaron, becomes Lord of the Vale. Uh, two of the m- most prestigious and, and important holdings in, in all of Westeros. Because Harrenhal's like, got the reputation for being cursed, but his lands are very wealthy. Gotcha. Uh, it, it generates a lot of the, 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 the castle itself. Like Nobody mm-hmm. wants to live there because it's haunted and whatnot, but the lands it belongs to are one of the more productive and, and, and wealthy hmm. of the kingdom. So it's a, it's, a, it's a nice plum to get. And yeah. Cersei just gave it to... Sir, you know what's his face? Uh, who is the 
the guy who's uh, uh, Tyrion, he didn't question his loyalty. He denied it enti- or didn't question his honor. He just denied it entirely. Uh, Janos Slint. Yes, yes, that guy. The guy who used to be, who was in Bronze position. Right. Uh, before Tyrion got hand. The, the captain of the Gold Cloaks. Yeah. So, uh, great. And I, I like the goons kind of jockeying for position. No, this is a, an amazingly written scene. Every yeah. character is doing exactly what you would expect of them. Like, when when Littlefinger ducks in to the front right. of the pack like, and like sits el- right like elbows next to Tywin. Varys and yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Varys just elbowing back with his words, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, really just digging the knife into Littlefinger with this Lord of Harrenhal stuff, you know? And how important he views titles. And, mm-hmm. and he doesn't, you know, all he has is the title at the moment. Right. He doesn't have the actual castle. Right. And, uh, and, I love it. And Cersei dragging hers to the, her father's right hand, of course. Mm-hmm. So she's feeling smug. And, and Tyrion's just like puts it at the he, but like like opposite of his father. Like like there's a struggle which is head, which is the foot, and he makes the whole like oh it's a, a lovely table, intimate. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, it's great. It's great. Yeah, I, I do see this um, arrangement. Let's call it between Littlefinger and Lady Arryn as. Tywin trying to remove potential allies from Rob's board yeah. and, and add them to his own. I mean, that's a tradition. I mean, that was the the Northern uh, Riverland uh, Vale Alliance was the the old Rebel Alliance. So if you can split one third of that off, and then and I think this is a, well to do so. This is probably a good time to do it because I'm uh, Lady Arryn is Catelyn's sister, right? And Catelyn has been branded a traitor, a treasonous at right. the moment. I think you might be able to seize upon that and turn her loyalties against Rob, mm. Lady Arryn's loyalties against Rob, mm. in order to maybe take him down and save her sister. Right. Something like that. I, I wonder if that's what's going through Tywin's head. Yeah, and also that the Vale is one of the last places that has a, a large, unbloodied army. Like, yeah. they haven't done any scuffling because Liza's been uh, paranoid. Mm-hmm. Um, ever since the stuff with with John Aaron happened, or at least that was her pretense. So there is, uh, if you can win her, you've got another fresh source of troops that are pretty. You know, Knights of the Vale are pretty highly regarded. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a win win for Tywin. So then we go over to Brienne and Jamie captive. They're being transported uh, to where wherever Rob is, uh, or I guess wherever he's going to meet them, because I doubt he's staying in River Run very long. Uh, they argue about who would have won the battle if it had continued or if Jamie hadn't been bound. It's just kind of some ribbing here. But then it turns a little dark when he says that Brienne shouldn't resist when they come to rape her later, lest she be killed. Uh, Jamie kind of being very pragmatic here. Brienne understandably being less so. Uh-huh. Uh, th- th- I did notice that they're singing a new song here. The Bear. The, the Bear and the Maiden Fair. Fair. There's yeah. two songs from Westeros. Reigns of Castamere and The Bear and the Maiden Fair. <laughs> Who is Brienne the Bear and Jamie's the Maiden Fair? Uh, I feel like in this scenario, maybe so. Could be, could be. Yeah, um, fancy words for a fancy lad. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the 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 quote of the scene is when she says, "Is you know, just don't resist and do what they want. Close your eyes, pretend friendly." She's like, "Oh, is that what you do for your woman?" Woman, and he goes, "No, I'd make them kill me, but yeah. I'm not. Thank the gods." Right. So. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's pretty dark. <laughs> it is, yeah, and it's meant to be, and but it's a good scene. Uh, then we move on to Arya, who is not quite a prisoner of Thoros, but it certainly feels like it to her. 
the hound is being loaded into a wagon and carted off somewhere. And then Hot Pie apparently has been traded for all the free meals that the inn has been giving to Thoros men because he's such a good baker. And he gives Arya a wolf-shaped loaf of bread as they all say their goodbyes and part ways. Wolf-shaped? <laughs> hey, man, I think this is a really good wolf given, given the tools at his disposal. He even did the fur. He even did, like, the rippling yeah, fur. he's got some cross-hatching. It's good. Yeah, like, you, could do, you couldn't do better, Arya. Come on. Hell no. Um, nah, it's, it's, it's a neat little scene. Like, Arya... Um, I, I I like Arya being kind of dismayed that the Gendry is helping the Brotherhood, and you know she tries to get a goat out of the Hound because I think she's trying to remind him about the Butcher Boy that he rode down, yeah, uh, for petty revenge for Joffrey. And then Hot Pie abandons her. <laughs> I'm not a Stark of Winterhell. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so funny. And then um when they part i think that was pretty cute and then Arya coming and you know saying she's chewing the head off the wolf and saying it's, it's really good <laughs> i thought it, it's 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 a nice nice little goodbye scene it is yeah I, I felt like she needed to have that final moment of saying it hey it might not look good i might have had a weird reaction when i saw it but it tastes mm-hmm. good right right you're, you're a good baker bye yeah. hot pie <laughs> yeah hope you hope you stay safe in this little inn on the king's road yeah then we move on to Catelyn and the Blackfish, uh, talking about her father and his brother, um, Hoster is the, is the guy's mm-hmm. name who died. Yep. He uh, Hoster and the Blackfish had some thirty year feud going on, but Hoster couldn't even remember why they were fighting about it. Last they spoke, uh, Catelyn remembers being young and waiting for Hoster to return from battles and just all sorts of trips, which makes her wonder if her children did the same with her or currently are. Uh, when she breaks down at the thought of her dead children, Blackfish tells her that she has to remain strong for Rob. Because he, like, where he has to keep keep hope alive for his brothers so that he can keep going on. Yep, it's another incredible scene. And again, you don't the the backstory here for Brendan the Blackfish is that uh, him and Hoster never saw eye to eye. Like Hoster was the oldest, and he took over River Run when his their father died. But then he always was trying because you know uh, Brendan was a catch. Uh, the Blackfish was a catch, and he was trying to marry him off to do different alliances, and Brendan's like, nah, I'm not marrying her. I'm not going to marry her. Huh. And then during the rebellion, when uh, uh, John Arryn um, married Liza to cement the two houses during the, the rebellion, uh, the, the the Blackfish actually left to go uh, serve the Arryns. He he was the, mm. the captain of the Bloody Gates, the first kind of fort- fortification on the way to the Erie. Which uh, Hoster interpreted as kind of like abandoning his family, and he kind of disowned him. Um, and that the how he got the name is they were having a heated family argument, and Hoster said, "You're just a black goat of the family," which I think is the Westerosi version of the saying, "You're the black black sheep." And then uh, Brendan pointed out that well, we're we're fish in this house, so if anything, I'd be a black fish. And then he made that his personal sigil just to kind of rub it in. So just. Hmm. They've just been. They've had a really prickly relate, and it seems like it's very much a both sides situation. Yeah, like I don't think Hoster made any effort to understand. I don't know. I don't know why Brendan, like whether he just likes to fight and go out there, didn't want to be tied down to a woman. Uh, shit, maybe he's gay. Uh, but but there there's just a lot of like misunderstandings and failures to try to understand and bad blood, and it, it, it came to this. But I don't think yeah. you need to know all that, but they kind of, like, in just a very few sort of, sort of scenes, like, give you everything you need to know about the emotion and the character so you can understand sure. that. Yeah. Uh, but the backstory is interesting, too. 
because uh, they don't exactly say how he got his name, just that right. it was a joke. Right. Uh, but yeah, that's but good. But it is evocative, mo- like Bran and Rickon staring across the moors of Winterfell, wondering when their mom would home. And she's like, yeah. you know, we know the truth of it, but like, it's a pretty horrific image for a mom, like that they've been taken over. Like, what a, what a scary experience for young boys to have this old family friend you know take over the castle and start killing people that you love and you know you're is who's going who is going to be is our, our brother's going to come to the rescue is our mother going to come to the rescue or father's dead and she's just really going in this like little little spiral mm-hmm. uh sounds terrible then we go to talisa who is teasing one of the lannister children with rumors they've heard about rob uh these are the two that we heard were captured earlier uh uh, Martin, I think Martin, Martin Lannister and, and somebody else. Martin's the one she's talking to, right? Uh, but I don't know their other names. It's a really short scene. They're they're hearing about Rob eating children, but she says it's only on a full moon and <laughs> it's not a full moon tonight, so you're safe, right? Those kinds of things. Uh, cute kid, familiar face, yeah. Uh, wonderful I've seen turn him somewhere. Up, wonderful turn up again. All right, Mance comes upon a whole bunch of frozen horse parts arranged in a rough spiral. Uh, Mance believes that the men who rode them are now part of the undead army, and he essentially says that. Mm-hmm. He tells Tormund to take John and 20 other good men and climb the wall. He wants them to hit from the other side when he gives a signal, and the signal's going to be the biggest fire the North has ever seen. Uh, the biggest fire the North has ever seen. Yeah, it's uh, that sounds exciting. Yeah. Um, and, you know, with this... Uh, the the showrunners using these opportunities to tell us that the the others are not these unthinking uncultured like unintelligent beings that they have like they this is a form of communication um that and there's some sort of rituals that they're, that they're doing which implies a culture uh which is really cool and the fact that it's, they're just using the horses because obviously the men are becoming meat for the army so that does bring up the question do you think along with some kind of culture that the others might potentially be worshiping something? Is that possible? Like, they're setting up all these sort of ritualistic-looking icons, which a lot of times we associate it with religion and worship of a higher power. Is there a higher power in the other culture, do you think? Especially when you look at, like, one of the things that makes me wonder about this is when I look at what uh, Craster says, you know, about Being a worshiping man. the real gods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we think he's talking about the others. They, um, they could just be paying it forward. Right. Maybe think, he's worshiping their gods. I think at this point it is an uh, interesting form of speculation, but it's it's honestly hard to say. Like, yeah. that is an enduring question in Game of Thrones. What is and something that we touch on this this, this book I'm writing Um what what is what does it mean to be a real religion in game of thrones what does it mean like the, the what what to what extent are the gods real and they intercede on behalf is there intelligence is it a as an elemental force is it a um is it a god but he just you know but 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 it doesn't doesn't really care either way is it like you know some sort of technology that can be mastered um i don't know but like it is interesting that these it seems like these white walkers because in the very first time we met them they were also doing these weird runes with body parts and stuff um it does seem like there is ritual involved so they might be uh harnessing some sort of force and uh, mm-hmm. or, or or praying to some god some gods we don't know about we just we just don't know yeah all right um do you have anything else to say about this scene uh just i think it's interesting watching john because you know 
uh, Mans is a very smart man. He's making deductions. Like, here's 300 people. They're now turning to ice zombies. Uh, Dior took a big risk, and he's probably, you know, obviously took his best and most experienced people in this big campaign. So now there's 300 of the best black brothers that are not at Castle Black, and we're going to hit him with this, like, kind of pincher maneuver, and he knows that there's no walls to the south of Castle Black because that's actually a law, that none of the fortifications on the wall can defend themselves from the south because there's been Lord Commanders that have gone rogue and turned traitor, and you surely don't want to have to <laughs> besiege your own castles, so that's one of the... that They protect the realms of the men, but they themselves are defenseless against those realms, and... Mm-hmm. John knows that, and you can see, like, in his face, like, how this is, this he's being pulled in two directions. Um, and, you know, Mance doesn't make any bones about it. Like, this guy, is going to prove useful or throw him off the wall? Yeah. Right. I think Mance is maybe uniquely qualified to lead this raid against the wall. Right. <laughs> Having been Lord Commander himself ex- at one exactly. point. Exactly. Was, he wasn't Lord Commander, but he was certainly... Uh, no, he wasn't? No, no, no. He was oh. certainly an important... Uh, one, of the, one of the higher-ups of the Rangers. Okay. Gotcha. He might have been first ranger, actually. I have to I have to look look that up. Maybe they didn't, the the books don't actually say. All right. So Gior's group arrives back at Craster's keep, and Craster lets them in. Claims he's doing it because he's a godly man, at least with the gods that matter, anyway. Like he, the White Walkers give a shit about hospitality. Uh, yeah. <laughs> White Walker comes knocking. You better let him in. You better, uh, lest your house be frozen. Uh. So he insults Sam, calls him a pig, which I don't know why at this point Sam is just over that. But it drives him outside where he hears a woman wailing in pain. She's giving birth, which he sort of creepily watches. And unfortunately for her, it's a boy, which we all know what that means mm. in Craster's camp. Means he's going to be a snack for the the White Walkers. Yep. And or their gods. <laughs> uh, anything else? Do you want to anything you want to say about this scene? Uh, just that I thought it was really interesting to see, um, cause again, he kind of threw, you, you know, he's not glad of the brothers being here. Um, and he can, you can tell that he thinks of like telling them to like get on before they get spit on. But then he starts like a Tolkien was writing this scene. He would talk about how Craster's eyes fall upon all the fell faces looking at him and they're thumbing their axes and swords. And he's like, huh, could me and my band of slave women take these guys? Nah. But he still carries himself, and he gets drunk, and he starts provoking these guys. And this is a this is a powder keg ready to go off anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can tell some of these these brothers are looking around and being like, "Look at this guy; he's living like a king up here, and he's a total piece of shit." Yeah, and we wouldn't even be that bad of a guys for ridding the world of him. No, and I feel like Gior is basically giving him license to do this. Yeah. You know, if Gior weren't the the kind of guy who refuses to kill Craster, right, or you know, his reasons, uh, then Craster might not be so crass right. in this scene. But I think he's like, uh, that. that's the tension that they're setting up this situation. The Craster is not gladly offering this hospitality, right. and he's also not being very smart or tactical about the things he says, and it, can Gior keep control of the situation? Mm-hmm. So making good on his word, the mop boy comes back to free Theon. And with some effort, Theon gets onto a horse and he rides east to where the mop boy says his sister waits for him. Indeed. Uh, It's a pretty plain scene. That happened. Yeah. (laughs) Let's move on to a more interesting scene. Melisandre is leaving the island on a mission. 
uh, and Stannis is very reluctant to let her go. He tries to convince her to give him another child before she goes, but she insists that it would kill him. Uh, she says that there is another way. Find more king's blood and make sacrifices to the Lord of Light. Butt sex. No, that doesn't <laughs> result in chick. Come on. That's what you do when you don't want children. <laughs> but shadow children. Yeah, who knows how that works. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> I, I've seen things pop out of vaginas. I've never seen smoke and shadow and yeah. and flame. Who knows what's in her holes? Who knows, indeed. It's like a clown car up in there. Just, <laughs> just, just tons of evil spirits and murderous ghosts, and who, who knows? Who knows? We don't know. We don't know the, the limits of her powers, and we don't. Uh, you know, she's very kind of nebulous about it too. And 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 Stannis, um, he's almost like an addict here. Yeah. And the way she treats the, the like the the way she treats him, and then like when he kind of realizes that she's not having it, and he kind of like staggers back and says, "Oh, your fires are burning low, my lord." Um. I don't know what is this third. What is this other way that demands sacrifice? Yeah, I I just can't get over how desperate Stannis seems in this scene. Mm-hmm. You know, he is desperately trying to cling to the one person that still has faith in him. Right. Uh, when he's lost everyone else. Right. And it it just he really plays it up. Yeah, and you, you're left to wonder like who is the member of Stannis's family that might have some of this royal blood still still in them. Yeah. Um, we'll have to see. All right, Danny's introduced to the Walk of Punishment, as they call it, which is a stretch of the walls where slaves are beaten and displayed as warnings to other slaves who might disobey or whatever crime they've committed. Uh, it's a warning. Barristan wants to leave now, but Jorah says she needs an army, and this particular army is well-equipped to not... Uh, get caught up and kill innocents in the fight, which Barristan, I don't know, he's not buying it. He has a more romantic notion of war where people fight for a cause, not because they're bought and paid for. And Jorah's response, Rhaegar fought valiantly, Rhaegar fought nobly, and Rhaegar died. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, is it pre- I mean, I, this is a great balance scene because, like, you know, Barristan's like, you can't use slaves to fight, and, and you know, Jorah turns right back. It's like, well... How many innocents have you known die in all the battles? And like he tells his personal story of like the shit show that was the sack of King's Landing, mm-hmm. where people were raped and murdered and babies' heads were bashed in. It was a really grisly sight. And he's like, you know, the Unsullied won't do that because it's not personal to them. They'll only kill who you tell them to kill. And, and he said there's just a really great line about uh, this is a beast that lives in every man that you unleash when you put a sword in their hand. But mm-hmm. the Unsullied aren't men. Uh, which I thought was a uh, was 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 great, and then the you know retorts like, well, you know, your brother died. Uh, the people died for your brother because they believed in him and loved them, not because they're bought. And you know that's it's it's good. It's good. No, stuff. I I think the the sparring between you know the the triad here uh, has been pretty good, and I've mostly taken Jorah's side on yeah. all this because you know while he's describing essentially owning a slave army. Right. He's also making a lot of good points about you will treat them much better than they're being treated now. Right. And, and you know, add to the fact that they won't go raping and pillaging right. when you send them in to, to attack your enemies. Right. Uh, that That's a strong argument. Right. For, for buying these unsullied. But on the other hand, it's like always the question of like you're lining the pockets and you're perpetuating the system. Sure. Uh, if you buy that and like Barrison doesn't have a great counter or well we can hire sell swords well they're going to be expensive and they're going to be uh-huh. fighting for gold this is not 
Barrison contradicts himself because like that's like the real plan is like, hey, let's raise our banners, fly let's let's, right. let's 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 ship over to King's Land or not King's Landing, but Westeros and land somewhere and start building popular support. Mm-hmm. Uh but he's not advocating that. He's advocating buying people's loyalty, so it's not great either. With gold that they don't have. I mean it's yeah. And I, I like how Danny's got like you know you kind of got the hint that she's got an, an idea of her own because like Barrison's talking about how I fought beside the last dragon blah 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 and she's says well I wish I'd known him but with all due respect he what he's not the last dragon right and then marches off the screen pretty I, I this is pretty good Danny uh, mm-hmm. not a, a lot of good looks episode. from Danny last last season but this is a whole whole other page to turn yeah so speaking of Danny we continue here where she goes to the the owner of the the Unsullied here and says she wants to buy all of them, including the half-trained boys. Uh, There's question about whether she can afford it and a lot of insults in the process. (laughs) Danny offers one of her dragons as payment over both Jorah and Barristan's protests. And she also demands Missandei, and everybody agrees. Danny spells out the the future with with Danny to her new sidekick, Missandei. Yeah, um, it's funny that Jorah and and Barristan are both kind of united in opposition to this. Like, you're going to sell a dragon? Mm-hmm. Like, one, you know, Aegon forced people to kneel with just one of his. He had three, of course, too. But yeah, does seem like a mistake. It does and, seem like a mistake. And I like the little touches that they add to this scene. When Barristan objects... Danny kind of doesn't flinch. When Jorah objects, she looks at him in, in a very disappointed way. Mm. Uh, you know, because he's her her truly trusted advisor. Right. Uh, he's been with her much longer and through much more with her. Barristan is still the new guy, and Jorah points that out, too. Yeah. In one of these scenes. Yeah, there's a bunch of him, like, trying to throw shade and, oh, already <laughs> right. we is it, Sir Barristan. Like, uh-huh. come on. Come on, Jorah. But Danny's reaction to, you know, her, her truly trusted advisor right. versus her newly trusted advisor... I think is really good. Right. Um, but yeah, like the fact that she's willing to sell her biggest dragon, Drogon, mm-hmm. um, that's kind of, did we? Yeah, what the hell, man? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess you need an army, though. Like, you can't, like, these dragons aren't that big. It's like you're mortgaging the future. I mean, we do that, right? If you have a credit card that doesn't have a zero balance or a car payment, you're doing the same thing. You're mortgaging your future for your present. And that's what the, that's what she's doing. She's diversifying her army. She is right? like she right now. She has she's dragon rich, army poor. She absolutely is. <laughs> she needs those ground troops yeah, to, she, to truly take a city. Yeah, yeah. Because air superiority means nothing if you can't like, if you need to you occupy. Can't hold it. If you need to put you, look, you I've got, played Axis and Allies. Yeah, you can't yeah. hold a place with a bomber. Yep. No, you can't take territory. No. Um... And you you have a damn hard time forcing territory to submit. You can bomb them into oblivion. You can torture them. You can glass their castles. But then you're you're going to preside over a graveyard and, and not a country. Yeah. Um, it's great. Uh, did we get into the or the talk she had with Miss Sandy? Uh, a little bit. She's just kind of talking about you know what it's like to be a slave. Cause the I, future with her. I did like Daenerys's little. Uh, you know, uh, Corleone moment where she's like, never, never, never go against a family in front of strangers to Jorah and Barristan. Yeah. Um, That is good. And then uh, astute watchers will notice that when Miss Sandy quoted High Valerian Valar Margulis, uh, Danny did not need a translator. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Um, 
But yeah, and that's the other thing is she's uh, she she asked to like you know why did the slaves say let me die and Mustani says because there's no ma- masters in the grave which that's incredibly sad and dark. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's getting the rules of the Unsullied like if you purchase them that they they are going to they are yours and that they'll obey and that's all they do. Uh, and she also gut checks Miss Sandy, like, hey, do you understand what it means to be in my service? It'd be interesting to see what if Miss Sandy be like, you know what? I really kind of want to go back to Narth. I do have family that I want to return <laughs> right. to. Um, you, you bought my freedom, not my service, right? <laughs> right. Uh, and then there's also, like, she just as she checked uh, Barristan with I'm Not the Last Dragon, when uh, Miss Sandy pulls the All Men Must Die, she's like, we are not men. Yeah. So that's cool. Crucial. All right, Tyrion's given the royal ledgers at Littlefinger's brothel. Uh, Littlefinger in the process thanks Tyrion for sorting out the misunderstanding over Roz being his secret whore lover and says he owes him a debt. Tyrion also owes a debt, a debt to Pod, which he decides to repay with a complimentary session with several of Littlefinger's whores. Yeah. I, I can't even imagine what's going through the actor who plays Pod's head. Like, the look on his face... I don't even know if they had him act for that scene. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just no. like being surrounded by all these incredibly beautiful naked women and like the, the idea that he's never been with a woman before. Right. And one of these women this... are like Spider Woman. Uh, and then on the way out, uh, Bronze like, pace yourself. <laughs> yeah. No shit. No shit. It's uh, so good. It is pretty. It, it It's pretty funny. And there's also. Yeah. He gets all these ledgers, and there's this big, and, you know, Bronn's kind of poking fun of him about it being dull reading, and Tyrion's like, no, this is the secret history of the Seven Kingdoms, and then uh, Bronn comes back, well, unless Lord Twatbeard made it all up, uh, mm-hmm. which turns out he did, but I also, like, I've forgotten that that uh, Littlefinger, Lord Twatbeard, I'm surprised yeah. that didn't stick. That's a pretty good, pretty good, uh, he he does a little, got a little murkin mouth going on. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, there's also a really funny, uh, like in universe or out of universe kind of meta thing about the the one only one woman out of or the only one one of the four women in the world that can perform the Miranese knot, mm-hmm. which is how George Martin described uh, his situation, why it took so long to get feast and dance out because he had this uh, this plot tied up in this town, the city of uh, Marine. And he is like a Gordian knot, and he couldn't figure out how to slice it. So it's kind of like it's it's funny too because now apparently George has got another Miranese knot that mm-hmm. he's been working on for longer than ever, trying to get winds out. And it's kind of it feels a little mean spirited at this point. But this was back in the heyday where everyone thought George would have the books finished and he'd keep pace. And like once Dance came out, and all the others will come easy. And ha ha ha! It's not so <laughs> not so funny now. No, I thought it was a good nod though. It's good, good, yeah. Good, good wink to the to the meta meta fan, meta commentary and the fans. So a little time passes here. We the scene kind of continues, and Tyrion's examining the books. He finds out that Littlefinger has been borrowing money they can't afford to pay back uh, from his father, but that's not the money he's worried about. He's worried about the stuff coming from the Iron Bank of Bravos. Uh, much much scarier. It's than not his the father. Cuban Cuddly Bank. No, it's not it's the, the Iron Citizens Bank. Bank. It's the Iron Bank. Yeah. Uh, but that conversation is interrupted when Pod returns, and he he hands Tyrion back the money that he spent on the whores, claiming that the ladies refused payment after the incredible things he did to them. Pretty, Which, it, this is classic. This is a right. classic Game of Thrones And scene. they don't need, like, and, and we hear that they're going to, like, sit, he's like, sit down, Podrick, we need details. Which is funny, but the funny thing is, is, like, this, they don't explain it. 
No. It's like you're just left to imagine what Pod the Rod was able to do to these. <laughs> right. Like, and these are these are not like your these garden are... variety sex worker. These were like the, the A team. Yeah. Uh the most experienced workers in the little fingers stable yeah uh and then like i either either he's blessed with natural talent mm -hmm. um and ability or he's got i don't know like a hitachi magic wand for a dick i i he's well endowed i assume it is but is that fun like you know if he's got a 12 inch yanger is that what women want i've I've been led to believe that's that's a a, at best an acquired taste uh this is why it's such a good scene because they don't answer right yeah you just left to understand like how does virginal doofus uh it's building (laughs) it's building pod as a legend yeah i mean this is yeah he's becoming a legend in westeros at this point right certainly amongst these uh couple nobles who you know, uh, hear the stories. Yeah, no, it's, it's it's pretty funny. Like I said, this is an unusually funny Game of Thrones episode. It does make me wonder because Littlefinger talks about the debt that he owes uh, Tyrion, and I think this is a pretty small way to pay back that debt. But it could it be that Littlefinger told them to refuse the money? Could it'd be, it be something if, much more main, mundane to it, pay Tyrion back? It would be funny if Littlefinger just kind of did that as a joke, a private joke to himself. Oh yeah, like to make Pod look at look it, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, because we know that like Tyrion is a very carnal creature and he's uh-huh. very sensual, and the fact that his like squire could outdo him in the the bedpost notching <laughs> right. might 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 uh, like stick on his, his first try. Right, his first try. Right, right. Beginners, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we move on to Theon being chased by his captors. He rides into the woods where he's knocked off his horse. The men uh, begin to rape him, but they're stopped by the mop boy's arrows, and he helps Theon up, and they head off. So much attempted rape in this episode. There's a lot of it, yeah. Uh, and these these are a pack of brute fuckers. You know how I know? One guy's got a mace or a morning star. Mm, Those yeah. are, every time I see, it, I'm like, you're just a brute fucker. Like <laughs> you just want to hurt people. Yeah, yeah. Like and Bobby B's up there too with his warhammer. Like if right. you're just crushing people. <laughs> If you're inflicting blunt force trauma to them, you're not stat. You're just yeah. No, ah. the blow that Theon takes. Oh is yeah, vicious. And a mace hit hard enough to knock you off your horse. Right in the ribs, and then like when the guy steps on, you can kind of hear his cr- like. I feel like he's got several broken ribs, yeah. and this has just got to be unbelievably painful. And then they're gonna rape him, and mm-hmm. oh my god! Uh, thank God his benefactor shows up and saves him. Yeah, my boy, my boy to the rescue again. <laughs> And I don't know where they're heading off to because we don't get back to that, but uh, I assume to his sister still. As Jamie uh, warned Brienne, speaking of rape, the men come to rape her uh-huh. that night. Uh, Jamie uses his silver tongue to convince the leader of the men that the sapphires her family would give for her are worth keeping her honor unbesmirched. That's his choice of words, not mine. I'm not the fancy lad here. Mm-hmm. He's the fancy lad. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jamie presses his luck and tries to convince the man that he should take him back to Tywin instead of Rob and be rewarded with gold. Uh, the man releases him from his restraints and takes him to a table where everything uh, seems to be going well until the man pins him against it and chops his hand off. Yeah, says, you're nothing without your daddy. Here's something to help you remember. Chop. And it's just yeah. so quick and sudden. You think the danger's over, and then that, and then smash the black and bear in the maiden fair. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting book detail. This character, who is not the same character that, that does the cutting of Jamie, is named Vargo Hote, and he's got a lisp. 
So there's like some high comedy here as he's as Jamie's trying to do this negotiation. And this guy is saying sapphire is like this, you know. Oh, no. So he's worth how many sapphires? Like oh, it's, it's like, like a princess bride get a yeah, thing. Yeah, uh, Daffy Duck. It's it's kind uh, of funny, but in a very broad kind of like, is this appropriate? Like we're, yeah. we're doing rape negotiations, and this guy's doing Sylvester the cat. Um, what what's 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 going on here? So I actually kind of I'm kind of glad. Like, in in most case, I think the double D's did a very good job, Dan and David, in like decolorizing a little bit of Martin because he gets pretty crazy and like mm-hmm. he he even self describes he liked to take real world details, like if it was like turn the colors up to eleven, turn this and and there's an excess of colorful personality sometimes, and if you put that on screen, can you imagine the scene if this guy is Suffering, fuck no. a half. Are you saying no? I've, I've never, I've never laid with a woman that size. You know, like it's, it just, right. it would be wildly inappropriate. It would be, it absolutely uh, would be. Although hilarious, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, in a certain dark kind of way. But and, and here's the thing, Jamie, smug as fuck, does not mm. see any bit of danger in here. He just because, yeah. like, and that's like what this guy says. Like you. Uh, this has always worked. Anytime, like, you've never been in trouble, you've never been afraid for your life, and if you ever have, all you gotta say is my father, and then, bam, you'd be ransomed, you'd be bailed out of it, and some situations, you know, there's some pits you can't talk your ass out of, and this is one of them. Shlope, and your your arm's gone. Yeah, and I feel like it comes down to Jamie not understanding the North very well. Um, yeah. the, these people aren't driven by the same motives as right. they are down south. Yeah, they uh, have a bit of a massive chip on their shoulder and an inferiority complex, and yeah. you would be well not to talk down to them and, and, and remind them of that when you're trying to... I mean, he's just not... Yeah, he's he's acting like this guy's Janice Slint, and, and he's not. Yep. And that's the end of the episode. Like you said, we smash cut to that Bear in the Maiden Fair punk cover. I do like it. This, this version uh, in the end of the credits is made by a band called The Hold Steady, um, but uh, I was... Uh, I was fortunate to see the Manimals, which is a Game of Thrones. They they they're a, a rock band, but they they did this uh, seven concept album, and they were invited to the previous year's Con of Thrones to do a concert, and they do a really righteous version of this. I'm going to include the link to the video of it. Uh, but yeah, if you ever get a chance to go to a fan con, or if they're ever in your area, you should check out the Manimals if you're a Game of Thrones fan because it's it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Jamie Glamister sends his regards. <laughs> right. Uh, you, you know you know what I say about the vicious fuckers coming at you with morning stars and maces. There's there the break bones. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you do when two vicious fuckers come at you with clubs? Because we got them. Club.baldmove.com. <laughs> Going to beat you over the head with it. I see what you did there. Until, until, you, until you sign up. Because it's the way, like, you know, you, there's a 0.0% chance that we would be doing a Game of Thrones rewatch if we weren't doing this full-time. The reason we're able to do this full-time is because enough of our listeners see uh, value in, a, in, in, in what we produce to kick in a little bit to keep things going. And you can join that 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 army, that 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 club-wielding, vicious fucker of an army of, of, of Bald Move Club members by going to club.baldmove.com and signing up, and you, you get a lot of cool stuff. First, a club. Every club member is issued a club that will, a virtual club a virtual yeah. club digital club that may or may not break bones mm-hmm. uh and and inflict blunt force trauma uh you get vip access to the forums you get ad free feeds you get video feeds of most of our podcasts you get first run bald movies uh full spoiler fully leaded spoiler edition you get quips 
Uh, you get lunch with Jim and Aaron's. You're like, what What the hell is a quip? What the hell is a lunch with Jim and Aaron? Well, hey, you go to club.ballmove.com. You can sample all that content free, gratis, no charge. You can try the whole club 30 days risk-free uh, just by going and signing up, club.ballmove.com. That's it. Do we That's have it. some feedback we to do? We do. We have a little bit of feedback. As I said last episode, this is going to be a thin mailbag because we're essentially recording this the day after we recorded the last one. There hasn't been a lot of time for the feedback bag to swell uh, but that just means there'll probably be a super long feedback uh, for the week after. The reason we're doing recording it um, kind of out of sequence is because we're going to be away uh, at a, a podcast conference next week. So we're trying to get, you know, that means we pack everything into the week before. Uh, without further ado, Mark S. with our first and I think only non-spoiler email. Hmm. We talked last episode. You talked last episode about the first time we hear the reigns of Castamere during your season three, episode two podcast. The first time... We actually hear the song is when Tyrion arrives in Joffrey's name day tournament on the first episode of season two. You can hear him whistling the tune. The Double Ds mention it during the episode commentary. They said they told uh, composer Ram- Ram- Ramin Ram... Oh, why can I can't say this guy's name? Ramin Jawadi? Or is it Ram... Ramin, yeah, it's Ramin, right? I think so, yeah. Okay, Jawadi. To write the catchiest tune he could, or something along those lines. We also hear Braun singing during... I didn't remember that, but I do remember this in retrospect. We also hear Braun singing uh, it during the episode Blackwater at the end of Season 2, but I'm not sure if that's the first time we hear the actual words. That's where mm-hmm. he was... You know, he gets confronted by the Lannister soldiers uh, in, the, in the eve before the battle. Uh, but yeah, I uh, I, for, I t- so totally forgot about the Tyrion one, and I also low-key forgot the one with Braun. So thanks for setting us straight on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is all of the non-spoiler feedback we have. We have a, a little bit of spoiler feedback to consider here. If you'd like to send us some, please do so. Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. Or I start a thread for spoilers um, in the forum each week. Uh, you can find that on the Game of Thrones section or forums, forums.baldmove.com. And if you want to start a non-spoiler uh Feel free to do so. It's easy. Just click on the link at the top. Says new top. And boom, and you're 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 on your way. I just I just feel like it's it'd be a wasted effort and a lot of zero reply threads. Yeah. So um, anyway, with that said, on to the spoilers. Okay, I got something to talk about right off the bat. Okay. Hashtag not my Martin. <laughs> Martin Lannister. No, no. I recognize Tom and Lannister when I see him. Can you... Tom and Baratheon, please. Excuse oh, me. Okay, fair. How <laughs> how does a young actor land this gig where he, he plays one character and then he, he doesn't reprise his role later, although mm. he does. He's in another scene as Martin. Mm. But he also comes back as Tommen. It's ballsy. It's like, can ballsy you imagine because he looks... And it's not like he's like massively changed. No. He's dyed his hair different. He's but, just... Like, if they hired... A- A- Aiden Gillian come back as right. like Littlefinger's cousin Middlefinger, right? Like, <laughs> well, people would notice right. and people would be like, what would this? I don't understand this. I mean, I will say that he is a pretty minor character and there was a, no, he just comes back next season. Like as soon yeah. as Joffrey's dead, mm-hmm. he's like front and center and Marjorie's trying to sleep with him and uh, it is it is ballsy. Like this show, this show's done a lot of recasting, particularly with um, you know, the Mountain. Right, but that's different people playing the same character. They do. They've re- they recast Beric Dondarrion. We're about to see something like that. But yeah, like taking a person and then just recasting them for a pretty major role, uh, and not doing anything about yeah. It's, it's and I know people are going to be jarring. like, oh, well, they're the same family. Of course, they would look alike. They look Not, identical. Yeah, because they're the same person. And that's yeah. the thing. Like, 
I didn't notice it and it didn't bother me the first time, but like when this shit this kid shows up, it's like, well, that's fucking Tom and Lannister, yeah, or Tom and Baratheon. Tom's, I just uh-huh. fucking did it again. Um, yeah, by God, that's Tommen's music as he as he comes in. I have a question for you. Okay. Do we count these as Theon torture scenes? I think I think for sure Probably. the the mace to the chest attempted rape and that's I mean they are psychological torment. There's two scenes. Yes. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to say that there's a one scene of torture, which would bring us up to a torture count of 3. Okay. Uh because yeah, that's that's torture by in in, in you know there's also I like that little cheeky line where because Ramsey's is murdering his own men. Like mm-hmm. I don't know that they were in on this part of the joke. They weren't. No. I mean when the guy well, says you little bastard. When he says you yeah. little bastard, and that's like a clue to the book readers that well, it's not even a clue, it's just it just It's funny because it feels like the double D's kind of encourage the culture that we got where there was the book readers going he 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 watching yeah. the because they're doing it themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh saying that to Ramsey, the bastard of of the Dreadfort is is pretty cheeky um but yeah i'm definitely i think you could arguably say this is because him freeing uh theon just to recapture him is also torture you could mm-hmm. say it's four torture scenes but to play it safe and just to just to just to be as um you know neutral as possible i'm gonna only say it was one in this episode but we're still can we of- just go like forms of torture like individual instances of or oh, applications of torture, like saying, the would, foot screw and. The but would freeing Theon be a form of torture? I would say yes. Yeah, because it's in service of content. You know, Th- that's what I mean. Yeah, like count this as the incident where he let him go, and then. But then the it, but then staging but yeah. a false rape, and then staging like the you and know and, and not staging but the, breaking the dog his ribs and, and like yeah, all yeah, that yeah. stuff. Yeah. No, and and it's especially insidious because. Theon is so incredibly thankful to this yeah. guy for doing it. And he's got obviously like these these super warm feelings. Like this is his savior. This guy is his own personal Jesus <laughs> Ram- Christ. Ramsey is f- fuck. He really is. Ramsey he really is. A is. Fuck, man. He, he really is. Uh in this this AMA I did on Reddit for the book uh this week, someone asked me like who's the worst villain, Pete Campbell or Ramsey? It's funny. It's a funny question. Right. And it's also it goes back to you know, like like our long and storied coverage of of Mad Men, but like Ramsey is one of the most evil characters. Period. Yeah, he's he's just a really terrible, terrible individual and human being. Um, that's all the stuff I had to talk about as far as forward looking. Yeah, I, I don't have much either. Yeah, um, I mean, like I could go on and on about Jamie and Brian, but like that's I'll just let the story I'll let the story unfold. Uh, Carrie W. First of our non or our spoiler emails, uh, Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. Pumped about the rewatch. You were mentioning last week about your favorite season. I agreed with your sentiments about season four. My husband and I have all long debates about our Game of Thrones number, which is a ranker of the seasons. I'm a six four three one seven two five. He puts season three on top with a three six four two one seven five. What would your and Jim's Game of Thrones number be? I feel like. We're going to be asked uh, this question until we fucking do it. it. So maybe we should fucking do it. <laughs> Can we do it for next week? Can we come up with a number for next week? Because I'm really going to have to like think about what happens when and how maybe that all can. factors in my score. I'd just rather get ripped the Band-Aid off uh, here. On the fly, I'm, I know I'm going to come up with a number I'm not satisfied with Okay. in the future. Well, then, yes, so. we need to. Maybe that's something we can do in the plane ride. We need to come up with. Our, we will unveil 
we will unveil our Game of Thrones number on next next week's podcast. Okay. Uh, I have a feeling that this is pretty solid because five is definitely, I think, the worst. Um, it's it's a wow. It's it's one of those things. The same way, like when you're when I was ranking Mad Men seasons, like when you see season one as the third best, like that seems wrong. Hmm. But that that's the problem. Like the, all these seasons are so good, you just really like for the first five episodes. There's just a a frog's hair difference between them and then you get to like seven and five and there's a pretty big drop off between those two sure so it's like if you had a deep if you have you had a pool and it like was like one feet deep three foot deep and then eight foot deep eight foot one eight foot two eight foot three eight foot four it's like if you're in the deep end you're good you know mm-hmm. it's pretty damn deep over there um let's move on to sean mcgee you discuss what it had been like if Ned asked Bobby B to legitimize John. I think maybe the major reason it didn't happen is that that, that uh, it would maybe disinherit Rob. Legitimizing the progenity of an affair typically would only affect long-term pecking order, but are we sure which one was born first? Uh, I did some research on this because I thought it was, it was no question that um, Rob was born first. Mm-hmm. Um, but apparently there's some disagreement because um, Rob was, you know... Ned got cat pregnant like two weeks before he went off to war. So how in the world could anything, but I guess there's some arguments we made and you don't know, like, you know, women's their gestation periods could be like five to six weeks longer or shorter. Mm-hmm. So there's some wiggle room there. I don't think I, and, 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 and you know, it, if you go with the fiction of Ned riding to war, like maybe he got a woman pregnant in the first four or five weeks of the campaign, and maybe there's a question. Um, but in reality, we know that John's not even Ned's kid, and he's he's certainly younger. And I also feel mm-hmm. like when I was doing the research, it seemed like the consensus also was no matter what it is, it would be a pretty simple matter to just have the king decree that the birth date was whatever ned wanted to be because who's going to contradict them yeah it's a royal decree you're already legitimizing a bastard just go ahead and make sure his birthday now the problem would be then what happens if rob dies sure now you've got your illegitimate you got your legitimized son taking over and like that would send cat into like fucking i don't know apocalyptic fit Mm mm-hmm uh, her skull would explode. Um, <laughs> but, you know, maybe Rob never dies. <laughs> um, I still think, I know it's a fun mental game, which would play more havoc in the realm if you legitimized him or if it just played out the way it did. Uh, Aaron P. says, wonder if you read this, and he links to a Vox uh, article um, from September of last year where they're talking about the impossibility of making a Game of Thrones finale that pleases everybody. Uh, the, sure. too, the too long, too long, didn't read version of this is the author's premise is because Game of Thrones, a song of ice and fire appeals uh, results from managing to simultaneously be one high fantasy two at the same time, a subversion of high fantasy and three uh, compelling historical fiction all at once. The ending cannot be able to satisfy everyone because neither Gurm nor the double D's can make an ending that checks off all three of those requirements. Um before we talk about it, I want to get to I want to let uh, Aaron develop his thoughts here. I personally agree with the premise, but not the conclusion. While the TV show may or may not be headed for a very high standard of high fantasy ending, 
or a standard high fantasy ending. Odds are Gurm has something else in mind, and if Gurm communicated that to Double D's, the show will probably have a similar, if not the same, ending. There's also several possible endings based on historical precedent, any one of which could cover at least a historical and subversion of high fantasy. Some of the most popular possibilities hinted at at the historical basis for Game of Thrones, The Song of Ice and Fire, and further hinted at in various ways, especially by the world of Ice and Fire, would be a transition to a type of arist- arist- uh, aristocratic republic where the king and queen are elected by other nobles, paralleling the uh, Magna Carta, House of Lords, etc. A likely candidate for this would be someone who is, uh, by marriage or birth, blends the rival factions together, a la the end of the War of the Roses. The most popular version of this being Sansa and Tyrion marriage ending uh, up being re-legitimized and them and their offspring sitting on the Iron Throne. Uh, folks, this is the always interesting historical analysis of Game of Thrones Academy over at YouTube are proponents of this type of ending. It seems perfectly possible still to have a fantasy ending, uh, i.e. White Walkers defeated or a peace is renewed with them. While subverting that ending, uh, all or most of the good guys die, particularly Danny and John. And a historical ending, Cersei defeated and replaced by electoral uh, means of some sort. Seems like there could be several variations of similar endings that would work too. Jim, what do you think? I mean, I think the thing that's most at odds here is... The, the high fantasy versus subverting the high fantasy. Those, those seem to right. be the, the two that are in conflict. That historical, you know, historical fiction, I think they can get away with making that uh, satisfying for the people mm-hmm. who are into it, whichever way they go, um, as long as it's, you know, somewhat accurate to how the War of the Roses ended. Right. Um, the others, I don't know. Is it? Is it... A high fantasy ending to have the White Walkers defeated, but all of your heroes dead. No. I mean, certainly the high fantasy ending is the rightful king is restored, and then there's a big coronation, and he marries the princess, and it's, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a Star Wars throne room, right? You. If you don't... It's Aragorn (laughs) marrying If you don't have that celebration at the end, that's that's not the high fantasy you want. Like, I... I struggle to see how it could be both things. I, I, I disagree with the premise because Game of Thrones is high fantasy that subverts high fantasy. It's a subversion of high fantasy. Like, that's mm-hmm. like trying to fit it into two molds. It, but, but I guess they're saying, like, what people watch it for. Hmm. Like, do some people watch this as a high fantasy? Right. But that's what I'm saying. Like, no, I don't because no, it's a subversion so. of such. Because if it's high fantasy, Ned probably wouldn't be headed. Jamie's arm wouldn't have been chopped off. You yeah, know, that's true. there wouldn't be all this rape and torture and all this other crazy shit. Or, or if it would, it would be all done by unambiguously evil characters with unknowable and un, un, understandable uh, motivations, which is already kind of like happening with the White Walkers. Uh, I think it's a sub, the, the what attracts people is the subversion. I mean, certainly that's what attracted me to it. Yeah. Is is that it wasn't high fantasy. <laughs> so I think, like, just doing... That's why I've always said, like, people that are really obsessing over who can sit on the Iron Throne, especially the people that want to throw who's got the strongest, like, claim. Like, what's the... Cl- like, that's, right. that's silly. Like, that's yeah. not... You know, I've long been a proponent of, like, some form of um, democratic rule taking over. And I feel like, especially with Season 7, that the double D's at least are on my side. And I also don't have a lot of sympathy for the people that say, well, that's, you know, a historical because the Greeks were fucking with democracy a long time before the middle ages. And in yeah. the game of Thrones universe, 
uh, as Tyrion said, you know, uh, the the Night's Watch democratically elects its leaders over in the free city of Volantis. They democratically elect their leaders. The Valerian Freehold uh, had like uh, the, the power sharing where like the, 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 the powerful nobles would elect one of them to lead them. Uh, there's a lot of precedent for this like it's not going to be like one man one vote right it's more kinda. of that aristocratic republic that he's talking about where, yeah yeah yeah. you know the powerful people or the landowners in the romans case like those people are voting on who becomes right or it's some sort of like you know like the, it's the beginning of a house of lords or something like that it's not going to be a full-on but it's going to be a recognizable step in that direction Away from the, like, well, you came out of the right womb and had the right father squirt a seed up into said womb, so you're the new king, and it'll be like that forever and ever and ever. And that certainly, yeah, plays right into the concept of subverting the high fantasy. Right. Um, So, yeah, I guess if you're saying that the premise is invalid because people don't watch this for high fantasy, maybe they don't have a problem. Right, like, imagine at the end of Lord of the Rings of Aragorn had said, I'm stepping aside and I'm letting the people of the White City elect their stewards from here on. That would be a subversion of high fantasy. No, I think ultimately, like, if they're faithful to what Game of Thrones has been up to now, Mm -hmm. people will be satisfied, you know, because they're watching for a reason. Yeah. And I think the reasons are Game of Thrones is what Game of Thrones is. Right. And if you want to label it a subversion of high fantasy, that's fine. If you want to label it historical fiction, that's fine. But just give people the ending that suits the show you've created up till now. Exactly. And I think most people, if not all of them, will be satisfied with that. Because you'll never, I mean, the highest you're ever going to get is like 80, 80, 85%. Because some Mm -hmm. people are, you can't please everybody. Plus, there's also the... There's always like a, a you know like a bittersweet to anything ending, even if it ends well, because there's, there's going to be no more. Like yeah, you know, a Breaking Bad gave you like a choose your own. Which which ending do you want? We'll give you three. We'll give you Walt triumphant. We'll give you Walt a based, and we'll give you kind of like a uh, a crowd uh, a fan service ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people still weren't entirely happy. And I remember being a little bit bummed because there's not going to be more uh, Breaking Bad. So like, there's the melancholy of like. We're leaving this world and we're never coming back. I know there's a prequel, tri- there's a prequel s- stuff planned and Age of Heroes and all that, but uh-huh. we're not coming back to these characters and these situations again. Uh, and that that's going to add some melancholy, even if it's best. And I think that we're probably headed for a divisive one because there's also going to be a bunch of book purists that are going to shit sure. on it no matter what because it, it's not George's story. Um, yeah, I, I think that if if two thirds of the fan base embrace the ending of the game of thrones series the double d's will have pulled off something special yeah i don't think there's any way 90 percent of fans are going to be on board with it i just don't the state yeah, it's the, already so divisive right yeah. because there's going to be at least 20 percent of the people they're just going to be irate because of the way you know the, the fact that george couldn't tell his story first right and you're just you know and that's that's not an invalid approach to the material either anything else you want to say or should we move on let's move on uh, Lydia L. While discussing the coverage of 701 during your discussion of a listener's theory that Sansa and Pod would make a good match, I remembered a book plot point that was excluded from the show but could possibly be played out by another character in the style of Roos transforming to Ty- uh, Ty- Tywin and Harrenhal. Uh, in order to solidify the alliance between the Wildlings and the Northern Lords under John as Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, he arranges a marriage between the Magner of Thin and Alice Karstark. Due to the fact that Alice's arrival at Castle Black was misinterpreted in the fires by Melisandre to be Arya, 
I wonder if one of John's actual sisters will be given to a wilding husband to unite the entire North to pacify civil discontent in light of a greater threat. I'm curious to know what you think. So her theory is that, I don't know, Sansa could be married to someone like Tormund uh, to re kind of bring the wildlings back into the fold of the realms of men. Yeah. I, I don't know that you need to do that. Uh, I think that there's a vast amount of the North that's unsettled and unpopulated, uh, and you could just let the wildlings live there, and you wouldn't need to give them lands and titles right away. Maybe you do, and, and that's the other thing, is like maybe just by right of you know, conquest and assisting of the, the realm, that why, why wouldn't you just give Tormund a castle anyway? Mm-hmm. You know, there's several there's several northern lords and castles that like they they make that a point of in in the last season. Like there's a bunch of them open. Why not why not give a few out? Uh, yeah, I wonder if that kind of thing, you know, the, uh, some kind of symbolic marriage alliance would really please the wildlings. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they're all they about, don't really care about yeah that about the, their their own personal freedom essentially. Um, maybe giving them their own lands and not tying them to a northern house, but saying you can have some of our lands to do with as you please. Right. Maybe you can establish an independent freehold of the wildlings. Yeah. Like in the gift, that the which is the wide stre- stretch of land between the wall and some arbitrary point that an ancient Stark gave the, the Night's Watch. You could let them settle there. Yeah. And you wouldn't be taking anybody's land except for potentially the the Night's Watch, but they're so small. And and the, the other thing is the walls the wall's been knocked down at this point. Is the Night's Watch going to be going forward? If they're if if the wall's gone, the White Walkers are utterly vanquished. There's a shit ton of land that you could give the the Wildlings. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, the other thing is on the show. Okay, is. Are the fans going to be on board with Arya marrying anyone? I say no. Probably not. And that no. seems like an utter betrayal of, of her character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's not enough time for me to plausibly believe that she would fall in love with anybody, but maybe Gendry. But even then, they're more brother and sister. That'd be feel kind of gross. And Sansa, like the only wildling that's remotely a large enough in her eyes to make that plausible is Tormund. And if anything, he's got, he's gonna for Brienne. Yeah. And he's not going to be interested in Sansa and Sansa's certainly not going to be interested in him. So I, it's, there's nothing wrong with your theory. I just don't think it's going to be super popular fans. And I don't feel like there's enough time to introduce a new character to make it work. And the existing characters, just the chemistry is all off. Okay. Um, so Yeah. That is the final email we have. Again, it's a little short, but we'll be back with the Consider More next week when we consider episode, what are we on, 304 now? Yeah. Wow, we're just buzzing right through this thing. Oh, almost halfway. Uh, thanks for all the participation. Thanks for everybody uh, downloading the podcast and listening to it in off-season. Really been pleased with uh, the, the level of participation and how many people are enjoying it. Uh, we'll see you next week uh, for the next episode. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. Later.